0: Support for Under the Radar comes from Wellwithal. Wellwithal believes that self-care is community care, premium products crafted for your daily wellness, from sleep support to heart health to your daily regimen. 20% of Wellwithal's profits are committed to leading the fight for health equity. They won't stop until it is truly well with all.
1: Under the radar to me means authenticity, not being filtered.
0: It's a window in on the local stories that touch our lives. And there's a huge void in the traditional
2: media covering these new faces of Boston. You may not be looking for a particular story, but when you hear about it, you're engaged. Under the Radar means ahead of the curve.
3: It's also perspectives. How does this particular story affect a community or a neighborhood?
1: I'm Julio Ricardo Varela, filling in for Callie Crosley on Under the Radar. This week... An update on the ongoing battle for liquor licenses in communities of color in Boston. Pushback on the Bay State's new sick leave law. And mass equality sets the new legislative agenda for LGBTQ rights. Later in the show, if you want to check the pulse of society, look no further than tonight's Super Bowl ads. We will compare campaigns and contrast the commercials with our pop culture experts. But first, joining me in the studio... Chris Ferrone is a news and features editor for Dig Boston. Hey, Chris. Hey, how's it going? Good. Gabrielle Gurley is a senior associate editor at Commonwealth Magazine. Hi, Gabrielle. Hey there. How are you? I'm good. And Sue O'Connell is the co-publisher of Bay Windows and the South End News. Hey, Sue. Hey, Julio. How are you? Good, good, good. And since this is my first time guest hosting, I want to introduce myself. You may recognize my voice. I've been a guest on Under the Radar more than a few times. I founded this website called latinorebels.com, and I live in the Milton area. All right, so let's do this. So, Chris, you know, everyone sends these stories to us during the week, and like Jerry McGuire, you had me at hello when you <laughs> said, liquor licenses and community of color. So tell us about that story that you wrote for Dig.
2: Well, there's this huge backstory, which I'll have to say in like three sentences, which is basically that the state of Massachusetts has always controlled the liquor licenses in Boston and, and of course, the other cities. So uh, there's a cap on them. Um, and and this has resulted in a, a a finite number of licenses that go sell on the black market for upwards of what are you talking like a half a million dollars and right. such. Now
3: it's a legal black market. It's, it's not legal. I'm, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Are going to get into uh, a secondary yeah, into, yeah, a secondary, yeah, a secondary, secondary market? market yes, right. Sorry. A secondary, secondary market.
2: market. <laughs> I can't believe I just said that. Anyway, it's just you know it's just so <laughs> nefarious in my mind. But anyway, so you know those those cost a lot. So it's kind of cost prohibitive for companies, businesses, big chains, small, you know, startups, even to open. Uh, you know, Take one of those licenses and use them in a lower income area. Right. This has resulted in just an unbelievable disparity, right? So we're talking about uh, a handful of liquor licenses. Like less,
1: less than 20, right? In well, those, in
2: Roxbury uh, alone, we're talking actually about 10, and oh, ha- I think half of those are for liquor stores. Right. And then in Back Bay, I think we had 131. So, that- so
1: 131 liquor licenses in the Back Bay
2: compared to... Twenty less than twenty in Roxbury. Well, more, so- more than five, more like five. If we're actually talking about places to sit down and have a drink. Okay. Uh, okay. So it's it's that it's that ridiculous. And then of course, uh, neighbor Mattapan Square. Otherwise, a great place. I go there often. Uh, Brothers is great places to even eat there, but they don't have them either. So, okay, what do we have here? Uh, we have uh, city councilor at large, Iana Presley, uh, submits a home rule petition at the state level. That basically means she's trying to uh, uh, free up more licenses, really get the cap removed altogether. That doesn't end up happening. She gets, uh, along with help from a, a future Boston Alliance, many others, and the blessing of Mayor Marty Walsh, of course, has ties at the state level. She frees up 75 licenses over three years, so 25 come online this year. And so far... And this is not like some evil thing. It's not that they're turning uh, businesses away from Roxbury and Mattapan. But so far of those 25, I think uh, uh, all but like six have been given out and none are going to Dudley and Mattapan. So this, you know, there's still time to go. But my article that I wrote for Dig Boston this week is really what is going on here. If this was the solution, it's not the solution. And people in Dudley and people in in, uh, really along the Blue Hill Avenue corridor uh, don't have a place, really, even to go for a, a dinner with a glass of wine or don't have many options at all. Right. So, Sue, what do you think about this?
3: Well, I think that this uh, this is one of those issues. I think everything that uh, Councillor Yana Presley did was great, and, and it's it's definitely needed, but it doesn't address sort of the source problems, which are the institutional barriers that these businesses and communities uh, have in order to reach the level where they can even be competitive. You know, when you have had this, this, this drought, uh, and I mean it both, both literally and right. figuratively, this drought of liquor licenses and businesses. I mean, let's face it, most restaurants uh, have a great markup on their liquor and drinks, and that's where they make a lot of their money. And And if you don't have the history of having those liquor licenses, you by definition make less money and have less money to be competitive to get the liquor licenses. Right. So, you know, it's a great first step, I think. And I think that's, that's the point Chris is making as well. But now we have to look. At the economic uh, development within the areas, uh, and and find some way to boost businesses uh, to allow them to get get competitive, and however that means, whether it means money, lawyers, right. you know, all
1: of that, in order to be able to get liquor licenses for their communities. So I, since I have Gabrielle here, I did my homework and I actually went to a government site, <laughs> the state government, <laughs> and I started looking at the frequently asked questions about liquor licenses. Yep. And I'm, like, blown away about the bureaucracy just in looking at these—I mean, how hard it is to get these liquor licenses. So, Gabrielle, what do you have to say about Chris's story and and just in general about what this means?
0: Well, I I guess one of of the first things I want to know is what— why is it that these organizations or the, these restaurants, why are they having so much trouble? I mean, is it uh, a lack of familiarity with regulations? As you say, you've got a, a stack. Yeah,
1: 55 questions, and it's like right. there's a pouring license, hotel restaurant, right. war veterans. But I then mean, along
3: with it goes training. You know, I actually right. managed a bar for uh, a no, nightclub. You for a year. Yeah, you know. Little unknown I don't remember here. much Breaking of it, news. but I think I did. <laughs> you know, you've got to have the milk license in order to serve, you know, which many of these restaurants would already, but then you've got training that you have to send your employees employees to uh, for um, el- you know for, for for lawsuits and and identifying when someone has had something with, too much to drink and drive and all that so there 's this other area of do you have the money in order to support your employees in order to serve alcohol
0: right and do you have the the familiarity or do you have someone on your staff who can access these regulations not only get them but understand them uh, The regulations are not on on any uh, area uh, of the cyber are not a walk in a park for a layman to sit down and try to understand
1: what's required of them. Right. So, uh, going back to Chris's piece, you didn't mention sort of the history, and and mm-hmm. suggesting that maybe there's something beyond just you know the disparity. Can you talk a little bit more about? In, at least in Boston, yeah. and specifically part of Boston, as to why this has been
2: an issue, and, and there's some his, history to this. Well, as, as you were all saying, so this is kind of a, it's a huge amount of work. To, uh, you know, these corporations that set up these uh, restaurants, say in the Fenway area, they have attorneys going, you know, going to the licensing board, handling hundreds of pages of, of documents. And you know, this isn't just this is. This, I wrote this story about these communities of color that, that need these licenses and don't have these options. But really, Boston in general has been losing out. These, I mean, that Cambridge and Somerville. Have benefited by you know the impossibility to get these licenses in Boston and to and to navigate the system, so I think at a greater level, but really what it 's going to come down to is the city having to actually commit uh, whether that's i don 't necessarily think it's going to have to be dollars so much as some serious hand holding, and I will, uh, through this process through, uh, and and you know, identifying the businesses that should maybe step up to the plate mm-hmm. and really bringing them through it. Short of that, we're going to keep seeing this. So, these these districts, I should add, are set up so that it's not you know, they're called um with restricted areas, but really, some of these licenses, and I don't want to hate on some of these other neighbors, but have gone to Jamaica Plain, have gone to Alston. I go to those neighborhoods often, I used to live in Jamaica Plain. There's. I used to have four bars within two blocks and of my no house. one has bars you know, in, Hul- in Hulio, Hulio, the, thing, yeah. the
3: thing, too, um, which listeners might not get, is, well, why, you, why do you need liquor licenses? You right. know, if, if you've got a challenging community life and a challenging <laughs> economic life, why do you need more liquor licenses? When I lived in Mission Hill in the 1990s, there was no reason to go to Mission Hill. You know, you lived on Mission Hill— and if you wanted to go out, there were—I think there was one Irish bar, down, block. right, right mm-hmm. down on uh, on <laughs> Tremont Street, and that was it, you know. And in order to have a vibrant community where people are traveling the streets and the the residents who live there are feeling good about where they live, you need to have some commerce and a reason to go. And the, I don't know if it's a Bertucci's—I forget what's in Brigham Circle now, um, right where the Stop and Shop of the Shaws went in. You know that whole area has been developed over the past um, twenty years, and it makes you know the people from. the Hospitals now go into Mission Hill to go for lunch and dinner and whatnot. So it's, you know, it's a very part. It's a very important thing to connect the community to the other communities around it.
1: Right. And I'll just put a, a bow on this this story because I want to move on to Gabrielle Gurley's paid sick leave story, which is another juicy one that I like. But the fact is that the Boston Future Alliance there was a quote from. Myla Lazu, ex- executive director of the Future Boston Alliance, and Chris' story. And she says, we're, we're excited in this law being the beginning of a conversation and how to reverse some of the racial and class inequalities of our restaurant economy. However, we are not confident that there is a vision to get us there. The city and committee need to, to have a much more transparent process. What a surprise. But it looks like Mayor Walsh is trying to take a little bit more of this into effect. We'll see what happens. But um, great piece Thank from Chris Farone. Moving on. To Gabrielle Gurley, um, another another piece that caught our attention: the paid sick leave. The the yeah, you the know, it passed. Sick. Yeah, it passed sick. in November, they big time. It. But now there's a senator, They're... Michael Rodriguez, a Democrat out of um, right. He's
0: out of uh, Westport, Westport has filed a bill, basically that uh, has been characterized as offering up clarifications to to the sick leave bill. Clarifications uh, such as. Uh, delaying the implementation of the law to next year, 2016, clarifications such as restricting uh, who can access Paid sick leave, uh, right. the interns, uh, top executives. There are other technical changes that the the bill would make, but there is concern on the part of labor act uh, advocates that any move to kind of undercut, for example, delay the implementation of the law is uh, going to erode at some point the the purpose or erode the will of the voters. Uh, now, aim, which is one of the state's major. Uh, business lobbying groups has been characterizing this as we, we simply want to uh, assure that technical changes are made, that companies that may have sick law in the books are adversely affected, um, and that these, these changes aren't costing companies too much money, right. particularly if they're already doing the, the quote-unquote right, right thing. Um, but labor uh, is taking the position that it's the will of the voters. Uh, We want to see it enacted. We don't want to do it next year. We want to do it this year. And unfortunately for Rodriguez and other members of the legislature, they have a a rather – uh, sorted for uh, one of a better word history of going back on uh, voter enacted measures uh, first and foremost the lowering of the income tax, um, which was enacted back in 2000 I believe, and still 15 years later it's finally down um, from 5.85 percent now down to 5.15 percent. Um, so the labor labor efforts are kind of suspicious with that kind of precedent that uh, we're going to see some. Erosion of this measure.
1: So that's a piece that um, Gabriel Gurley um, wrote in Commonwealth Magazine this week, and one of the things when I read it, and I don't know about you, Chris, but I saw instantly delay tactic. Here's here we go again, State House, you know, the will of the people, it won, and now all of a sudden we we, we hear you know reading um, Gabriel's piece about looking making more clarification. So what do you think about?
2: what's going on. There's a very, for me, the most important point in that piece is that the business could have had their say in this whole, uh, in the whole (laughs) negotiation process. So, you know, and it's funny because I I actually think that the business groups have a good argument. It has to be done right and we've seen what happens when they aren't. But, you know, delay is the word. You know, this is uh, the parallel often